Alright, uh, welcome everyone. Um, so today we're going to look at Acts chapter 10. Um, there's quite a few layers to this story. Um, we'll see that there's an important message for each of the two main characters. It's a guy called Cornelius and Peter. So they get a personal sort of message for each of them. But there's also another sort of bigger message for the wider church in general at the time. And we'll, that's sort of unveiling a bit more of the bigger picture of what God was doing um, and so this is one of those chapters where you can sort of skim through it pretty quickly and miss quite a lot of it when we view it from our perspective. We are you know, 2,000 years removed from the events going on here. And the main message of this chapter is something that we take for granted um, and we don't really think twice about it. But at the same time, uh, this took a bit of getting used to for the guys at the time. Um, so an example would be, you know, what does John 3.16 say? Good work. So that's something that we hear and we think, you know, that's probably the shortest, simplest summary of the gospel and think, yep, that, no arguments there. Uh, but even statements like that at this time in the early church was a bit of a shock and took a bit of getting used to. And we'll see that showing in this, in this chapter and it unfolds later through Acts as well. So yeah, it took a while for them to get used to that idea. It was too simple for them. Um, so at this point in history, um, or at least before Jesus came along, the message was God has chosen Israel to be his holy nation, that they would be a light to the world. And God specifically tells them to be different from the other nations around them. And outsiders were welcome to be part of the kingdom of God, but simply believing wasn't enough. They had to jump through a whole lot of hoops. They had to be circumcised, follow the law, basically had to throw away their whole old culture, all the practices, and fully adopt a Jewish lifestyle. So the nation of Israel was told that they were set apart in God's holy nation. And unfortunately with that, sort of developed a bit of a sense of superiority, which we'll see in this chapter as well. So yeah, we take it for granted that Jesus came and died for us. But actually in that original Jewish church, they had trouble believing that Jesus died for people that weren't Jewish. So the structure of the last few chapters has been building up to this idea that salvation is available to everyone. So they've been easing them into it through the way it's been written. So the last few chapters have all been about sharing the gospel with various unreached people. So chapter 7 and 8, that was the stoning of Stephen. And then after that, there was a lot of persecution of the early church. And it mentions that many believers fled Jerusalem. They were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the gospel. And then in chapter 8, we read that Philip was preaching and performing miracles in Samaria. Um, so there was, and there was a positive response to that. Many people were coming to know Jesus and believing. And... You, so you might know that there's a bit of a rift between the Jews and the Samaritans, and it goes way back, about 800 years, to a time when Israel was divided into two kingdoms. And in the north, the capital was Samaria, and that was the first to be taken over by their enemies And later on. And they sort of married with the enemies, which they weren't meant to do. And whereas a bit later on, the southern nation got taken away into captivity, and they sort of endured this hardship and then eventually returned without losing their identity. So there's a bit of this sort of rift between the two that this 
the southern ones didn't really think that the, the northern ones were as, as pure as them or as good. They didn't endure that hardship. They sort of took the easy way out. So there's sort of that, yeah, not, not a great relationship between the two. They're kind of viewed as half-Jews. So in Acts chapter 8, when Philip is preaching to these guys, it would have been a little bit uncomfortable for the Jewish readers. And maybe they'd be listening carefully to this, a little bit of hesitant. That's not the primary audience that the early church had in mind. It's not who they would expect Philip to be spending his efforts on and talking to. So this is the first sort of baby step recorded about sharing the gospel with outsiders. And maybe that's not a huge shock. Um, they could probably rationalise that by thinking they're kind of half-Jews, we've got common ancestors, they still do a lot of the similar practices, so maybe we'll allow that and they, they can be invited into this kingdom too. So maybe that's not too much of a shock for them. Uh, but then after that, the next story that Graham shared about was about this Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch. Um, and this would have been, again, a little bit unusual. Here Philip is talking to him and sharing the whole the Old Testament history and about Jesus being the Messiah and that he was talked about in the Old Testament with an outsider. So again, they would have been listening carefully to this and perhaps they again rationalised this by thinking this Ethiopian guy was here worshipping in the temple and then he got baptised afterwards. So yeah, again, perhaps he's partly Jewish or you know interested in Judaism. That was the same way they would have had to have converted in the Old Testament times. So again, the readers are probably thinking, a bit unusual, but that's okay. We'll let that happen. Uh, the next encounter in the list was the conversion of Saul that Raywin talked to us about. So now we hear that the kingdom of God has been extended to the worst offending enemies of the church. And again, you could see how they might rationalise this, by saying that you know, Saul was still a Jew and he was just on the wrong side of this whole Jesus issue, but now he's come around. But even still, this, this is saying that forgiveness is extended to a murderer and to an enemy of their religion, someone who had caused a lot of damage. So you can see that sort of order of the story that, it, that Luke, the writer, is easing them into, saying you know, the kingdom of God has been extended to the Samaritans, your you know, relatives from far back that have gone astray, and that it's also been extended to your neighbours who have got little to do with your religion and saying it's also extended to murderers and those who have been against you. So it's building up and stepping up each time. And then now in this chapter that we look at, we're going to see that it's built up again. Um, And without those previous examples, it might have had a bit of a different reaction in this one. But here we see that it's extended to a Gentile. But not just that, he's a Roman soldier who at the time was the oppressive ruler of Israel, so not really friendly with the nation. But it's a, he's a bit of an odd character because he's also described as God-fearing, who gave to the poor and prayed always. So it's a, it's a strange combination with this guy. Um, so yeah, let's jump in and see how this story goes. And as mentioned, we'll be looking at the three different stories, the three different messages that God is sending here. A message to Cornelius, a message to Peter, and a message to the wider church. So at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. 
One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, had gone, Cornelius called the two of his servants and a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So this guy Cornelius, he receives a vision, and God says, I've heard your prayers, I want you to go and fight this guy Peter. It's quite hard to pin down this guy's relationship with God and reading up on it, there's lots of various opinions about this guy. Um, But it seems likely that he was probably interested in God or exploring God, and we'll unpack that a bit more later. So he's a nice guy, he does lots of good stuff, and he's seeking God, and little did he know that God was seeking him too. And we'll see that God goes to quite a lot of effort to get a message to this guy. So at the same time that that's going on with Cornelius, uh, we read that Peter also receives a vision, and he's in a city about 50 k's away. So at noon the following day, they were on their journey and approaching the city. Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So Peter's hungry and he starts thinking about food, which we've all been there. But God's telling him to eat some things that previously he's been told that he shouldn't be eating. And I quite like his reply, you know, surely not. No, Lord, is what he's saying. And that's actually a contradiction. Lord sort of means, yes, sir, I'll do what you say. You can't really say no to your Lord. Um, yeah, and quite an interesting contrast with Cornelius's reply, which is, what is it, Lord? Um, so what the heck is that vision all about? You know, God could have spoken to Peter and showed him anything, and he's decided to show him that it's okay to eat lizards. It's a pretty odd choice of things. Um, so is that really the most important message for Peter right now? But as we'll see, there's a little bit more going on than that, and it probably was the most important message for Peter at that time. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you are looking for. Why have you come? So God's arranging this whole thing and and putting in a lot of effort to make sure everything happens to plan. He's told Cornelius to send guys, travel all the way to this other city, find a guy named Peter, and then make sure that Peter knows it's okay to go with these guys who are looking for him. So God's really making sure that this thing happens. So the men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man 
who was respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that to this house so that we could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the man into his house to be his guest. So it's an interesting thought, why would they why would God make them to go find Peter? There's probably someone closer who could have shared the gospel with him. And I think there's probably a few reasons that God specifically went for Peter. Partly so that it could be recorded for all believers, including us, throughout history to read about. Secondly, because Peter wasn't a possible, had the authority authority to do something new. But also, I think, because Peter needed to hear this message too. It's not just a bigger picture for the church, but for him personally. In some ways, it was almost as big of a conversion for Peter as it was Cornelius. So the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. So these two guys finally meet, but it's not just them. Peter brings some other believers with him. And Cornelius brings other relatives and friends. So this is a big gathering with people from both sides. We've got Jewish Christians and Gentiles who are possibly a mix of believing or being interested in the Jewish faith, or perhaps being completely unbelieving Gentiles. So there's a mix of people there. It's not your normal church gathering of everyone believing the same thing. While talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. Off to a good start, right? Good way to, good way to make friends. Does anyone know where it says, where God says that it's unlawful to, for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile? Does anyone remember reading that? That's good, because it's a trick question. You, you didn't read that. It's not actually written anywhere in the Old Testament. So this is a tradition that developed over time. It, it does say not to marry, marry outsiders, but it doesn't say not to associate with them. And, and you can see how that label of Israel being God's chosen people, that you know, you're set apart to be different, you can see how that resulted in them being a bit puffed up. You know, he, God wasn't saying you're better than anyone else just said you're set apart to be different and the the labels that make most sense with that is literally Israel was set apart the Gentiles were ordinary, everyone else is just everyone else whereas the mentality was kind of like we are amazing everyone else is scum of the earth that's not at all the labels but you can see how that sneaks through into their beliefs so after saying, yeah, it's, not, it's unlawful for us to hang out with you, it goes on by saying, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? So that's, during his journey, he's obviously figured out the meaning of his vision, that it wasn't really about eating lizards. There was a lot more to it than that. And about yeah, challenging his thoughts about people who were unclean and being able to associate with them. And because that 
that law wasn't really written down, we can't really look up why, why they thought they shouldn't associate with people and what would happen if they did. But we can look at other laws that were written down and, and see what sort of consequences came with those. So when, when they say unclean, they're meaning it would make them ceremonially unclean. And what that means is that they couldn't worship at the temple or perform sacrifices, go to any of the festivals, that kind of thing. You know, you'd think from the way he's saying it that you know, something really bad's going to happen, that you know, you're going to get shot if you're suddenly unclean. Um, some other examples of things that would make you unclean was if you touch a dead body. So you, you hear that they try and avoid that as much as possible. But the reality is they did touch dead bodies. They, they buried people, they moved the bones of their ancestors, they, they cleared dead bodies off battlefields. And what happened when they did that was that they were unclean for seven days. They'd have a couple, couple of baths in that time, avoid the temple, avoid feasts. I don't, I don't want to downplay it because they really liked and were, it was really encouraged to do those things. But that's not the end of the world, is it? There's a, and a whole bunch of other things that would make you unclean, including childbirth. Again, they did that a lot. Um, and sex as well, believe it or not. You're unclean for a day. So they, they didn't have the same stigma with those activities as it does with associating with someone who would make you unclean. So yeah, all of that is to say, you know, it's a weird sort of stigma that Peter would have to be hesitant to hang out with these Gentiles because it might make them unclean. You'd think, you know, worst case scenario, you've got a week of no temple and have a couple of baths. Surely that's worth the risk to, to send a message to these guys. But yeah, just interesting thought. <laughs> So he says, why did you send for me, Peter asked. And I'm just going to paraphrase this, because basically Cornelius is repeating the very first verses, saying, I had a vision, God told me to find you, I sent some guys to find you, now you're here. So he doesn't actually say why he sent for him, other than God said to come get you, that you've got a message for me, I don't know what it is. Um, and obviously during that time, Peter's figured out what that message is as well. So Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is, that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So that's the, that's the main message of, of this story. And we have to kind of pause and understand how massive this is. Like we read that and kind of think, yeah, that's, that's obvious, right? No, no one here is finding that a big challenge. But it was, it was a big turning point at this point in history. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, this is Peter saying, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened. And again, I'm paraphrasing here, but he goes on to preach the whole story of Israel expecting their Messiah, Jesus fulfilling that, dying for their sins, being resurrected, hanging out with people, passing on that authority. So he does that long speech unpacking the story of Jesus, and then he's inviting these guys into that story of Israel and to get to know the Jewish Messiah who died for them. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So the early church, you know, these are Jews who had found their Messiah, they were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. They were astonished, but they didn't deny it. They had a miraculous confirmation of this new teaching for them. And Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water 
They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So you can see the different messages that God's speaking to the different people in this chapter. He's speaking directly to Cornelius and probably his friends and family that were there too. Um, so Luke describes him as, you know, he feared God and he was upstanding, respected, gave to the poor. So he, he seems like a nice guy. He, well, he was a nice guy. Doesn't seem like it. Um, it doesn't really sound like someone who needs to hear the gospel, does it? But God made, put in a lot of effort to make sure that he did. So God's message to this guy was that, you know, even though he was good in the eyes of man, he still needed a saviour. And to let him know that salvation was available for him through Jesus. God was giving him the final part of that story that he was missing. He says, I've heard you. I know you've been looking for me. You are invited to be part of this family. And to Peter, the message is, through that same same conversation, a message to Peter, it was about removing any sense of superiority. In God's eyes, there is no Jew or Gentile. That idea that Israel was set apart as a holy nation, you know, that was meant to be a compliment, but not to belittle the others. Israel didn't earn or deserve to be set apart. Their history is full of rejecting God and being forgiven. So yeah, for, for Peter, that message was about inclusiveness and sort of you know, telling him to kind of check his thoughts on that and his thoughts on other people. Um, and to the wider church, the, the other believers that there, were there with Peter at the time and to us today, um, it's the same message as it is to Peter, but on a slightly bigger scale. You know, The focus of the story is no longer on the nation of Israel. That chapter's closed. The Messiah has come from Israel. Now the offer of salvation and forgiveness is extended to everyone. And this teaching also develops in the later chapters of Acts, and in a lot of, it's a lot of the content in the New Testament as well. It wasn't something that they jumped on board with quickly. It still took a long time to develop and really understand this. A few chapters later in Acts 15, the early church is instructed, instructed that Gentile converts don't need to become Jewish. Again, they, they sort of said, okay, the gospel's available to everyone, but you've still got to be circumcised and follow the law and do all these things. So there was a lot of discussion about this, and it took them a long time to realise that God is accepting people as they are. So yeah, they were very slow to grasp it, and some people were blurring the message, teaching that others, other nations had to become circumcised and keep doing all these things. So the main message here is that God is offering salvation and relationship to anyone, that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. That was the message that Peter brought to them, which, again, we read that and think, that's so obvious, but it was a really, really big shock and took a lot of, took God intentionally giving Peter a vision to understand that. And yeah, so that's good news, good news that we definitely should not take for granted.